Hello and welcome to another live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined in this live chat room by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. Tim, just give me all of the injury updates. All of the injury updates. You know, uh, Will, Will Salmon is with the team in Atlanta, and I, he had to write, I think, four different things on Monday and Tuesday. So you know about Luis Guillermo out for three to four weeks, perhaps longer uh, with the groin issue that he suffered on Sunday. Uh, Eduardo Escobar is on the injured list. He's out with a left oblique issue that he tried to come back from but struggled with. Uh, so that, you know, should be shorter than Guillermo's, but you never know. Oblique flinger, as we talked about on the podcast. Uh, Carlos Carrasco uh, is out for three to four weeks. That was a hamstring strain, I believe. Um, I'm getting confused with them. Uh, and then Taiwan Walker left his last start with back spasms on Tuesday. The hope is that he would be ready uh, to start on Sunday, but you're not sure about that because, you know, the, the Mets were already going to need a sixth starter. If, if all their starters were healthy, they were going to need a sixth starter in David Peterson on Saturday for the doubleheader against Philadelphia. Now they need uh, you know, a starter to replace Carrasco for that set for the other game on Saturday. You would presume that would be Trevor Williams. And if Walker can't go, they need another starter on Sunday. And that's where you don't really know who it is. <laughs> that's when you get uh, a bit more up in the air. It's Jose Buto in, in AAA, a guy who is on the 40-man roster, recently got called up to AAA, uh, has, an, has an awesome changeup, but uh, that would be uh, a relatively quick rise for him. You know, Tyler McGill and Joey Lucchese, uh, your your other starting depth in the organization, they are not ready to pitch in a major league game on Sunday. Uh, so I don't know if you go bullpen game in that spot. I think you, you just really hope Taiwan Walker is ready to make that start. And Buto, I'm looking at his stats now. Like He was solid in AA before his promotion uh, at one start in AAA so far. It's not like this guy is blazing his way. Like, there's, a lot, there's a lot of promise from what I understand. Um, and his generally like his rate stats have been great throughout his minor league career, but it's not like this guy blazed his way through the minors and earned a call. Right. I mean, this is, this is not, he's not knocking the door down as, as it was. Uh, Whereas, it, yeah, go on. The, the, the changeup is really good. Uh, he's, he's thrown harder this year. I think there's some thought that, you know, he could be uh, a relief option relatively soon, but I, you know, the, the ceiling on Jose Buto is, is probably a number three or four starter. Uh, if that, uh, so it, it's not someone where you, you you put him in the rotation. You expect him to be to be in there the rest of the season. On the other hand, and like I guess you know, there's you know, we've been talking about the team's depth the entire year, and a spate of injuries like this is never a good thing. With the Mets, you do come to expect it a little bit. Um, and if there is a silver lining here, I think for fans and and maybe not for the Mets because they they seem hesitant. But it's that Brett Beatty is now with the Major League team. Uh, we saw him. We're speaking. Uh, if you're listening live, you know this. But if you're if you're listening on on recording, we're speaking on Thursday afternoon uh, on Wednesday night. Beatty hit a home run in his in his first Major League game. Um, what can we reasonably expect out of him? Is it the moon? Uh, you you expect a home run every night from Brett Beatty. Yes. Um, He's, he's established this. Did his, did his family enjoy the home run? It seemed like they enjoyed the home run. They uh, did. That, those are always like the most fun highlights to see is, is just family going nuts in the stands the way babies did uh, on Wednesday night. You know, you, the, really, the, the question about calling him up was not an offensive question. It was not a question about his bat. 
you know, it's probably the same with, with Mark Vientos and Francisco Alvarez as well. You know, Vientos has had excellent numbers at AAA basically since the start of May. Alvarez has the batting average isn't great in AAA. It might still be below 200, or it was the last time I checked. The, the on-base and slugging are, real, are really good, and he's, he's picked it up since a slow start. Beatty is only at AAA for six games uh, and was, was cruising there, was, was doing really well uh, immediately upon, upon promotion there uh, and had been having a really nice season in AA. The question is really like how could, could you trust any of them defensively at the position you needed them at? Alvarez at catcher, Vientos and Beatty, and Beatty at third, and, and clearly – the Mets made the decision that they trust Beatty a little bit more defensively at third. That goes along with, that aligns with uh, what we've heard from scouts for a little while now, probably two years, basically. Uh, and, you know, Vientos is, is more of an option against left-handed pitching. Uh, Beatty is better against right-handed pitching. I'll, I'll be interested, you know, we're, we're recording this before Thursday night's game, before Thursday night's lineup is out, uh, whether Beatty is in there against Max Fried or whether they go with Devin Marrero. You know, the way, the, the way this broke down for the Mets was essentially Marrero was called up to replace Guillaume, uh, and Romero's a guy who's had some success against lefties in the major leagues. I covered him in 2017 when he was at the Red Sox and was basically a platoon third baseman for them. He started against lefties uh, when they had Rafael Devers there, uh, and he actually started a playoff game against Houston that year. His numbers against lefties have not been especially good since then. Um, uh, you know, but you know, you needed someone who could play shortstop or second base. You needed a, a, an infielder who's capable of multiple positions. Marrero gives them that. And then Beatty was, was to replace Escobar. And to be a, what I expect is the regular third baseman until the other guys are back. Uh, and well, we'll you're not going to call up Beatty and have him on the bench, right? Like, that would be, that would be counterproductive. And I also think, like, there's – I'm sorry. I, I understand, like, even if you're saying this guy's not fully polished, ready, major league prospect, um, I just don't – I refuse to believe he's not better than Devin Marrero on a day-to-day basis. So there's none to knock Marrero for doing what he can do. But if you're thinking about who's going to be your regular, what Brett Beatty can bring you is more than what Devin Marrero can bring you. Right, because what you're talking about with Marrero is, is, you know, a guy who wasn't in your organization at the start of the year. You know, it, it's not like you're at your your backup third. It's not like this is Guillaume. You're, you're deciding between Beatty well, and Guillaume. The guy who was or, your opening day. You're, you're talking about a guy who was fifth or sixth on the depth chart uh, just a couple days ago, you know? And like, even with Escobar, I think, you know, like, and Escobar's not having a great year, but I think it's easy to make the case, like, no, like, let's not force Beatty up to replace this veteran who we kind of feel like will come around, who's still playing good defense, um, who's still, like, getting some big hits. Yeah, it, like, that's that's fine. I had I had no beef with that. But once Escobar's on the DL and you need an everyday third baseman and you have this guy in AAA mashing the ball, like, let's not overthink this. Right. And, and you know, it, it, it makes it's, – it's the argument we made, or at least I made. I think, I think you attempted to it uh, in July when, when McCann went down that, you know, now's the time to give Francisco Alvarez a shot because it's – you're going to play Tomas Nito a fair amount, but it's – we're choosing between uh, Alvarez and – Patrick Mazika, that's different than choosing between Alvarez and McCann or Alvarez and Nito. You're choosing between him and a backup backup. Uh, and right. the Knights decided not to go in that direction, which tells you what they feel about Alvarez's defense, that they don't think it's major league ready. Uh, and in this instance, with a little and with an extra day there of cajoling, with an extra day of, of seeing what was going on with Escobar physically, they decided that, that Beatty was worth it and, and uh, it certainly paid off for them on Wednesday. Howard B. is waiting in the queue to ask us a question. What is up, Howard? Hey, how's it going, Tim? Good to finally speak with you. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, question is about 
uh, Tyler McGill because they clearly need another reliable arm in the bullpen. He's got the stuff. But what do you believe his role is going to be given the starting staff may needing somebody else in there? Uh, what do you think his role is going to be when he comes back in a couple of weeks? Yeah, thanks for the question, Howard. Uh, it is good to talk to you finally. Um, so with, with McGill, you know, I think it's funny. You, you want to say, like, oh, well, they need a starter now. Like, Rathbone to be a starter. It's the, the timelines aren't going to work out that way. I think they're still going to, to have him be a reliever unless they get worse news on Carrasco and or Walker. That, you know, if, if one of those guys is going to be out uh, – beyond the point where McGill could come back as a starter and you need him to be in your rotation, then I think they're going to, to still focus his energies on coming back to the bullpen as soon as he can, uh, you know, probably in the next, you know, early September, maybe, or first or second week of September, I think is, is basically the time frame on him. Uh, and then see what he can do out of there. You know, you've got right now, they've got kind of a, a carousel of four right-handed setup relievers in front of Edwin Diaz. They've got Adovino and Lugo, May and Gibbons have joined that group. You know, Adovino and Lugo have pitched the best there. Adovino basically all season, Lugo especially of late. Uh, Givens has looked pretty good since that first outing. Uh, May, you know, had the hiccup obviously on Wednesday night. So, and, and, you know, a bullpen, you ride the hot hand uh, as much as any other position, and especially that that's true in October, and just giving themselves more, as many options as possible. To have McGill as another guy in that group, you know, you're probably going to carry – 12 or 13 pitchers in the, the playoffs. That, that's an interesting question, whether, whether you go with the, the extra one or not. Uh, but, you know, you have an, an eight- or nine-man bullpen. Uh, you want as many of those options to be as, as palatable as possible. And McGill could also, by that point, give you some length if you need it in, in an emergency. So I think, you know, I think there's a good chance, as long as he doesn't suffer a physical setback, that he's part of a postseason bullpen for the match. I want to ask you a follow-up on that. I want to take more questions, but... Uh, you tweeted something that was interesting, which is that the, the postseason schedule is out, and the Mets, as, as it stands now, um, would need a fifth starter, most likely. Does that change their accounting with you know how they play McGill, Peterson, Williams, et cetera, moving forward? Well, you don't need a fifth starter. So the, the way it's set up, uh, is, you know, the usual postseason setup is every day you travel, you have an off day. So right. in the series, you have off days between after game two and after game four, which means that you can throw uh, your game one or game two starter on regular rest for game five. So if you want to, mm-hmm. let's say a guy who can go on three days rest, you can start him in, you know, in game one and game four. Your game two starter can go in game five on regular rest. You only need three starters for the division series. We saw the Yankees in 2009 do that, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then and the Dodgers in 2015 when the Mets played them. They all saw Kershaw and Greinke twice uh, each. Uh, the NLCS is the bigger issue. That's now you've only got a day off after game two. You don't get the one after game five. Uh, and so that you will play five straight days. Um, and the question there is whether you go with uh, your game three starter. Let, let's say that you have a seven-game NLCS. Do you pitch your game three starter on three days rest in game seven? Uh, do you set up your rotation so that you have a specific pitcher going in game three to have that option? Uh, or do you say, you know, our best chance is to carry a fifth starter. Uh, the Mets, you know, they have five good starters when they're all healthy. That could be a leg up for them over some other teams. Um, but also, you know, you're not getting DeGrom and Scherzer as much as possible. Under, under the old system, you could have those guys. You would definitely have those guys uh, four times in a series and the chance, if you wanted to, to go a fifth in, in game seven. So, uh, you know, that it, 
it's a little bit complicated. I think the bigger issue is probably going to be the fatigue issue, especially if the seating holds in the National League and you get a, a Mets, Dodgers, NLCS. Uh, you're going to be flying from New, New York after game five on, uh, I forget what day of the week it is, on a, a Friday night, uh, and you're going to be playing game six in Los Angeles on Saturday night. Uh, that's going to be, I think, the bigger issue in terms of, of fatigue for players, potentially for writers. I don't know. Uh, but it does it does play a little bit with who you're going to bring on your, your NLCS roster, at least. You know, you, if, if the Mets, say, deem their fifth starter, let's say it's Carrasco, that they don't think he's going to do anything out of the bullpen, he can still stay off the NLDS roster, but you would have to carry him on the CS roster. It reeks of conspiracy. Michael B. has a question <laughs> for us. Oh, no, Michael B. is no longer in the queue. Um, oh, no, yeah, Michael? Yeah. Yes. Um, so in regards to De- Jacob deGrom, what, I guess what's the timeline on stretching him out to, you know, I, I guess stretching him out and then if he's going to have be capped at like 105 or 110 pitches in the postseason? Yeah, good question, Michael. I was a little surprised his last start that he, it was only – innings and 70-some-odd pitches. We've seen him be ultra-efficient since his return, uh, which is, has, has actually been the case for him since 2021, uh, that he's been not only striking out everyone, but doing it in, like, three pitches. Um, I, I think, you know, this next start will get him probably up to seven, you know, if, you, if he's available to go with seventh inning, uh, to go seven innings, uh, to go up to probably 90 pitches, and then the start after that, I think you probably have uh, the all shackles off where, you know, if he's He's carrying a shutout at 95 pitches after eight innings. You can probably give him the ninth. Um, you know, we'll see how they build up to that. But the goal here with, with DeGrom is to have him as healthy as possible for the month of October. You know, I don't, I don't know that even in October with any of the Mets pitchers, we're going to be seeing pitch counts much above 110. I think Chris Bassett's uh, the only guy who's gone over that count so far this year uh, in the regular season. So you're just not going to see those kinds of pitch counts, especially if they're thinking of using these guys on three days rest or out of the bullpen on their throw days. Uh, but uh, DeGrom should be close to a full go probably in the next two weeks. Uh, we've got some questions in the chat. Uh, one of them comes from Stephen M., who wants to know, do the Mets have to move Escobar, McCann, or Nito in the offseason to make room for Beatty, Vientos, and Alvarez in 23? They don't have to. They can look into it for sure. Um, you know, you can see if their catcher is such a – a position of scarcity in the major leagues that, you know, if you wanted to move McCann and you'd have to pay down some of the salary, you'd be due. I'm not sure if it's, it is just the straight 20 million the last two years, or if it, if it was structured in such a way that it was backloaded a little bit, but you, you'd pay that down a little bit to maybe four or $5 million a year. If you wanted to move him uh, to a team that needed a catcher uh, to, to open up that spot for Alvarez. Also, you know, you've got enough, room on your bench these days in the National League to carry a third catcher, especially one who would pinch hit or DH sometimes like, like Alvarez. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they held on to McCann just because they deemed him worthwhile to have around in that instance. I don't know that you're handing Francisco Alvarez 110 starts at catcher uh, in 2023. Um, with Escobar, um, kind of the same thing probably depends on, on where they are with Guillaume as well. You know, Guillaume has been essentially an everyday player by this point in the season uh, until this latest injury. Uh, and I don't know if you go into next season thinking he's your guy at third base most of the time uh, and or what you want to do with uh, with Beatty as an everyday player. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to find out over the next, <laughs> the next several weeks, basically, uh, the next couple of months. Uh, 
where they're going to be with those guys going into the offseason. You know, Vientos is interesting because, like we've talked about, uh, the, the deal for Darren Ruff kind of blocks at least one role for him, which is like the backup first baseman who DHs against left-handers. Uh, you know, they, they don't have to pick up Ruff's club option for next year. Uh, and if they don't do that, then you've got Vientos, uh, more of a, an obvious role for him as at least uh, the short side of a platoon with Vogel back at DH and then the capability of playing some third, maybe some first. Maybe they revisit the corner outfield with him, uh, but that's something that they've gotten away from a little bit this year to this point. We have a question in the chat that I believe I can answer. I think I've got this one. Dan P wants to know, what happens when with Guillaume and Escobar? What happens when Guillaume and Escobar come back if Beatty has run away with the third base job by then? I believe what happens is they play less, right? Like if it's and you know Guillaume is still going to find the field plenty of times because of his versatility. But correct me if I'm wrong. These guys aren't going to be back. I mean, certainly Escobar is not going to be back before rosters expand, so it's not going to be a, a an issue of a roster crunch. You just, you, you know, Eduardo Escobar hasn't had a great season. He's a veteran player. I'm sure he'd understand. He's got some positional versatility. Like that doesn't seem like much of a problem. If Beatty's run away with the third base job, that's, that's good. That's a net positive. Yeah. And it, you know, the, the question here is what does running away with the third base job, what, what constitutes running away with the job? You know, David Wright, 2000, David Wright, 2004. But I'm serious. Like that is that like, cause that was a great, quarter season or whatever he had, but it's not, it's not like an unreasonable or Michael Conforto in 2015, right? Like a guy comes up and just plays really well. Right. You know, Mike Jacobs in 2005, uh, right. he does that. Yeah. He's, he's going to be there. Um, but you know, if he hits, that's brutal. I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I threw out David Wright and Michael Conforto and you came back with Mike Jacobs. Uh, well, <laughs> let's see. David Wright's OPS plus he had 69 games. It was, it was 118. Uh, Mike Jacobs in his, his he had like eleven home runs in like three weeks. Oh, he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable, and it made him a part of the the trade for for Delgado, right? But uh, Mike but J- like, to- we're talking 80. careers here. What's yeah. that? His OPS plus in thirty games was one eighty uh, in two thousand five. So, I would accept uh, that. I would take that. I would take that. I'm just saying. I just I'm just talking in terms of like omens for like we want we want more than thirty games out of Brett Beatty here. Yeah, but you're not going to have that by the time you're making this decision with Guillaume no. and Escobar no. this season. So, you know, and, and I think the tougher decision is Beatty's hitting 240 with a 310 on base percentage and pop, uh, which your, your lineup needs. And Guillaume is a guy who gives you a better average, a better on base percentage, but not the slug and better defense. How do you make that decision? I think there's still a role for Escobar, maybe against lefties. Again, depending on how Beatty does against lefties, uh, he, he scalded a ball off Tyler Matzik on Wednesday night. He's got good numbers against him in the minor league you believe will hit lefties long-term, uh, but you don't know right off the bat what, what he's going to be with that. And, you know, your team trying to win now, if Escobar is 5% better than Brett Beatty against, against lefties, you're going to play Escobar. Uh, with Guillaume, you know, there's certainly a role for him as a defensive replacement, but I think it becomes tougher if, you know, Beatty's numbers are a little bit worse than what Guillaume's have been this season, but there's more promise there and he maybe fits your lineup better as providing something that the lineup doesn't have otherwise. Uh, that's when that decision gets a little more difficult. And where, quite honestly, like I'd go with Beatty and the power, the power potential there, knowing that you've got a fallback in Guillaume in the in the case it doesn't work out, and you know you're in game four of a playoff series, and Brett Beatty is is 0 for 20 in October with with 12 strikeouts, then you go with Guillaume as your starter there. You've got only negative vibes for Brett Beatty. Beatty, what did he do to you? What did he do? I'm just saying. <laughs> 
you said <laughs> you said he's going to get two games I'm to be saying, if he has 12, go on. He's got 30 games, and if he hits 11 home runs like Mike Jacobson, this isn't a conversation. If if it's if it's something that's more normal for a prospect to come up and hit, uh, then it, the decision becomes more difficult because he's not replacing a zero offensively for right. you uh, because Guillaume has been a very good player for them so far this season. Yeah, and Guillaume rules. I just think that there's going to be plenty of playing time for him because you can play him everywhere, and, and like it just makes you that much deeper. I'd also point out, like, and it's it's different than what I mentioned earlier about calling up Beatty to ride the bench. Now, having Beatty sit down for a few games in September is at a time when the AAA season's over anyway, right? So it's not like you're like costing him any sort of development or anything like that. Nor would a few days really change anything long term. I, I feel like you know it's good to have a guy like that around, even if he's not going to be in your postseason roster, just to you know like they talk about that all the time, like just come get a taste. Right. Like and, and Alvarez, too. Like, I feel like I'm pulling for them to make those calls and I know they're going to need pitchers and they might have uh, like more immediate concerns to address with the roster expansion. But I love the idea of giving the prospect a taste. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't think it's a question of whether he's on the, the active roster with the team in September. I think it's just, you know, it's game one of a playoff series and you're facing Zach Wheeler in Philadelphia. Who's your starting third baseman? Is it does Brett Beatty do enough to be that guy? Or, yeah. or with Guillaume, you know, that, I think that's that's the question that uh, we don't know the answer to, and we're going to have six or seven weeks here to find out. I want to know right now. <laughs> that is, I mean, it is uh, basically uh, all, all sports are just trying to find to find information before it's it's true or not. Like, just trying right. to find out. We know it's going to happen eventually. Like, but we want to talk about what might happen before with some certainty. Mark N wants to know why Perez and not Mazika. That is an interesting question. I thought it was – it surprised me a little bit that they did not play Mazika much at all when McCann was out. Nito played basically every game there. I think, you know, something like 12 starts to two for Mazika. Uh, you know, Mazika, the, the pitchers have had a decent ERA with him. Uh, Perez is a guy that uh, you trust a little bit more defensively than Mazika. He's got that reputation at least. Did you see that, bro? Uh, I mean, that, that, was, that was one of, like, the most – that's a, one of the best throws you'll ever see uh, from a catcher, just the, like how on the money he was. I forget who he drew at. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 there's a reason he's still in the league as a guy who's got one of the worst uh, OPSs of anyone in the last decade, uh, and it's because he's an excellent defensive catcher. They've had excellent defensive catching all year, uh, and the, the bump that Mazika might give you offensively over Perez is, is pretty minimal at this point. I think that's probably what they're thinking. But, you know, when they, they did call up, it's like, oh, it's, it's Perez, not Mazika. I had the same initial uh, idea as Mark there. Uh, Stephen M. wants to know, are John, is John Daniels now uh, or David Stern still on the radar for a front office role next year? As uh, if you only follow the Mets, you might have missed that John Daniels, the longtime GM of the Texas Rangers, who grew up a Mets fan, as, a, as I, I, that's right, right? He also grew up a Mets fan? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Daniels has been relieved of duty by the Rangers, will be available this offseason. Yeah, Daniels and Stern both growing up uh, in New York as Mets fans uh, and obviously have long-term and, and pretty good major league experience in front offices. Uh, you know, Daniels is freely available. I, I can imagine him coming on in an assistant GM capacity if that interests him, uh, if that interests Billy Epler in the Mets front office. Like, you know, that, that, that's a role that he could be available for. Uh, Stearns is obviously under contract with the Brewers through the end of this season. 
And I believe, you know, the reporting suggests that the Brewers have to advance in the playoffs, I think at least to the league championship series for Stearns to be available to, to opt out of his contract. Although that's not certain. It would create a, a hilarious Mets Brewers division right. series situation. Uh-huh. Uh, everything I've heard uh, is that the Mets are interested in David Stearns being their president of baseball operations, that that has never wavered. Uh, David Stearns is interested in being the Mets baseball, president of baseball operations. Uh, and until either he signs a long-term extension with the Brewers, uh, until the Mets promote someone else to president of baseball ops, until, uh, or until he takes the job and it's finally consummated, uh, there's going to be those rumors, you know, that, that we reported at the Athletic last, last November that, you know, even when the Mets had moved off of, hiring a, a president of baseball ops, even after the Brewers had denied them permission, not only on Stearns, but on Matt Arnold as well, that uh, the Mets still retained interest in Stearns and were going to uh, go after him whenever the, he was next available uh, for them to pursue. So, uh, you know, and I think until, until it doesn't, until there's like concrete evidence that it's not going to happen, I'm going to believe that David Stearns is on the Mets radar. It makes you think, like, if you think about that, that possibility of the, of the very odd Mets Brewers NLCS, which is, which is on the table, but then, so say that happens, and the Mets win, and they win the World Series, right? Then, like, what, how does it feel if you're Billy Epler, and they still, they hire the guy you just beat? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a bit crummy, you know, and, and maybe that, that change, you know, maybe that is enough to change the Mets' minds. But I know, you know, from the reporting last offseason that, that Epler and Stearns uh, get along pretty well, that they know each other reasonably well, uh, that, you know, Epler was given a, a pretty long-term contract as a general manager, uh, even after it seemed like he was not the Mets' top choice uh, in, in that offseason pursuit. And that, you know, maybe part of that is, you know, if this, if this other guy is available, would you be comfortable being the number two to him in the front office? And he was okay with that. You know, maybe that changes over the course of a World Series winning first season where you made a lot of moves. Uh, but, you know, that was that always seemed like, to, to me at least, it seemed like Epler took that job with the idea that, you know what, they, they still might want to hire a president of baseball ops outside, and it's probably David Stearns is at the top of their list. We'll take one more question from the chat from Patrick M., possibly Patrick Mazika himself. He's like, what? What's the deal? Um, he also wants to know why Perez over Mazika. Uh, he, he wants to know, um, what happened with relievers at the deadline? Did the potential Contreras deal blow up any chance of getting Robertson? Did the Tigers inexcusably not trading relievers impact the Mets and Andrew Chafin? We couldn't. I think we got through a full podcast the other day having Andrew Chafin reference, so we couldn't go a full week. Um, so first off, on on Philadelphia and Robertson, I, I think there's a lot of Mets fans who think that the Phillies did not give up anything for Robertson. Because uh, I think he was the, the guy that gave up Ben Brown was like MLB.com's 26th prospect in their system. Uh, he was a fast riser this year. He was better than pretty much any Mets pitching prospect outside of maybe Matt Allen. Uh, that's not a definite. It's, you know, if the, if the Mets had offered uh, the Cubs Matt Allen for David Robertson, it's not 100% that the Cubs take Allen over Ben Brown. It's more than 50% in my mind. Um, but uh, that's. You know, it's not like the Mets were not willing to give up their 26th best prospect for, for Robertson. So that's why that deal didn't happen from their perspective. They were not willing to give up their best pitching prospect for him. Uh, from, with Detroit, you know, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and Cody Stavenhagen, our Tigers writer, has written, uh, this is kind of a trend with them at the trade deadline, that they, they, don't, they, 
seem to lean a little too conservative in dealing their own players, especially ones with any kind of team control beyond the season that, you know, Alavila since fired in Detroit uh, was looking for, looking to get value for Chafin that um, reflected that he was, he could potentially be around next year. Chafin has a, an opt-out in his deal that he would probably take, you would think. Uh, but Avila was, was kind of peddling him as a, a guy you'd have for a year and a half when most teams viewed him as a guy they'd have for two months. Uh, and so there was kind of a, a dissonance in terms of what teams were willing to give up and what the Tigers were willing to trade him for. Uh, we've seen that before with them with, you know, with Michael Fulmer, who they finally dealt this year in his walk year, uh, with Matthew Boyd for so many years, even with Tariq Skubal this year. Like, it, it seems like these guys from Tigers are quote-unquote available, but uh, they're held up to a certain price point that, that no one wants to meet. Uh, and that's, you know, there's a reason that they're in year, what is this, year seven of their rebuild uh, and why they just fired the general manager. So I, I do not blame them as, as much on Detroit, um, you know, as I do on, on some of the other options that they had available to them at the trade deadline. Now that we've mentioned Andrew Chafin, we can wrap up. So if you've got questions for our next show, which will be a recorded one, you can email asktedberg at gmail.com or get, us, uh, get at us on Twitter. Tim's at Tim Britton. I'm at OG Ted Berg. Tim, until next week, peace out. Adios.